Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Off the Couch on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Matt Mitchell, Blister's running editor. In this week's episode, I'm joined by Solomon athlete Leah Yingling to break down some of the current happenings in the running world. Leah and I dish on recent race results from the end of March and early April, including Trans Grand Canaria, the Gorge Waterfalls 50K and 100K, and the Lake Sonoma 50 and Marathon. Leah happened to podium at two of those events, so she shares some on-the-ground reporting of what the scene was like at the front of the pack. We then turn our attention to the coming weeks ahead. The back half of April is packed with signature races, notably Madeira Island Ultra Trail in Portugal and Canyons 100K, the final Western States Golden Ticket race. Leah and I close out our conversation by having some fun going through the stacked fields at both events. With that, let's go ahead and run through the news. Hey, Leah. Hey, Matt. How's it going? Good. How are you? Not too bad. Thanks for coming on the podcast today. Of course. Where are you uh, recording from? I am in Salt Lake City, Utah, where we just got uh, dumped on with another couple inches of snow last week. So spring is not here quite yet. Before we hop into some race results for this kind of edition of uh, Running Through the News, I, uh, I was reading an article, it was on Desert News, and essentially talked about how over the last handful of years, Utah has become this hotbed for primarily like roadrunners. I think the author of this article goes into how BYU has had a really, really strong uh, tracking cross-country program, and a lot of pros are attracted to Salt Lake City and other cities in Utah to live in and train. And I think that like that also applies to the trail world. Um, and I'm wondering like why you think Salt Lake City and other areas in Utah attract so much talent. Yeah, that's a good question. And I think it's definitely been a point of conversation a lot lately that I've heard thrown around on a lot of podcasts. Um, I think, at least from my perspective, a lot of it has to do with the proximity to the mountains. I think we've been considered a little bit of a hidden gem for a long time now. Um, but if you've ever been to Salt Lake City, at any given point in time, when you're in the city, you're within five to 10 minutes of a trailhead. And not just any trailhead, but a trailhead where you could climb anywhere from 1,000 to 4,000 feet vertical climbing up into the mountains. Um, So I think for a lot of working professionals who want to be close to an airport, want to have a good job where the cost of living um, historically has been pretty reasonable, but has been going up in the recent months, uh, this is a great place to be because you don't have a large commute to get your training in. Um, I I think the road running scene, there's been a lot of um, the contingent down at BYU. They've seen a lot of professional athletes come out of that program. So obviously it's a hot spot for a lot of uh, road running athletes. And then also for um, Park City, where we're about 30 minutes away from, a lot of professional teams come out there for their altitude training. Um, but I think for the trail running community, it definitely has to do with the ability to balance a career, you know, easy travel to different areas, but also it's got to be the proximity um, to the variety of trails that we have here. Yeah. What elevation are you at? So about anywhere from like 4,500 feet to 5,000 feet. Um, so I live right around 5,000 feet and like looking out my window, I can see an 11,000 foot peak. So you can go from, you know, the valley floor and get up to 11,000 foot peak, pretty much no problem um, once the snow melts. So I think that ability is really desirable for a lot of trail, um, trail and ultra running and especially a lot of mountain runners. Yeah, I think that's one of the downsides of of the Bay Area, which is another kind of of hotbed for trail runners, just like you're at sea level, you know, and our biggest, our biggest climb, um, I guess would be like Mount Diablo in the East Bay. And that kind of 
tops out at like 3000 feet. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's interesting. How did you end up in uh, Salt Lake City? Yeah, so I moved out here in 2016. So I've been out here for going on um, six years. And I came out here for a graduate program at the University of Utah. I would say a large part of me was drawn to the mountains and the lifestyle um, and the work-life balance that Salt Lake City in particular offered. I was deciding between nine different programs across the country. And at the end of the day, I knew that I wanted to be somewhere where I could really balance my life in addition to my work. So I started that program back in 2016 and then uh, wrapped up around 2018 and uh, have been working out here with no intentions of moving ever since. And I would say it wasn't really until I moved to Salt Lake City that I really dove deep into um, ultra running and especially uh, more intense mountain running than I was doing back uh, on the East Coast. Yeah, I feel like you dove like headfirst into that stuff too. I think like looking at your ultra sign up before uh, before this episode, I'm, I was like, oh, wow, she races <laughs> like quite a bit. Um, why are you so attracted to, I guess, racing in particular? I feel like f- for a lot of runners, like you know, they'll race like once or twice a year, but you seem to be someone that is like really pulled to to the starting line. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think my husband, Mike has been a bad influence on me. Um, so we both grew up on the East coast. I'm from Pennsylvania and he's from Maryland and, um, he went to the Naval Academy in Maryland where they actually had an ultra running team. Um, what? yeah, exactly. <laughs> Pretty cool. They had a marathon team and then it evolved into an ultra running team. Uh, but being confined in such a military environment during college, he was looking for every opportunity to get out and explore on weekends. So by doing that, he ended up signing up for race weekend after weekend after weekend. Um, And I actually didn't meet him until after my college, which I did in Pittsburgh, but my two sisters went to the Naval Academy and they ran on the marathon and the ultra running team with him. So when we first started dating, I was in Washington DC and he was in Virginia beach. And the entire first summer uh, we'd meet halfway between DC and Virginia Beach, find a race that was going on. He'd run one distance, I'd run another. Uh, So it ended up being our way of connecting, but I think he definitely kind of pushed me more in that direction of, you know, this is a community environment. It's fun. It's a way we like to spend time. Um, So yeah, I would say I race, I race relatively often. I like to incorporate it as part of my training because it lets me practice and troubleshoot before a bigger race. Um, I think if you look at my spring results, winter and spring results of this year, you'll see definitely an uptick in racing a little bit more than I normally do. And that's definitely intentional. I think I've had a few things I'd like to work on in my racing and it's allowed for me to kind of trial and error in different events and, uh, figure out what's working, figure out what's not working. So when I get to my goal race of this season, that things are executed pretty, pretty perfectly, ideally. Yeah. Yeah. It's like that idea of using races as like a supported long run, essentially. Exactly. Exactly. It's just like free snacks. Yeah. There's a lot that can go wrong and I'd rather figure it out in a fun, small, small 50K than, you know, during mile 50 of Canyons 100K. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I think that is a good segue into some of the races that have happened um, this past month. Um, which is why I definitely wanted to have you on because you ended up on the podium of <laughs> two of the major ones we want to talk about. Yeah, awesome. So I'll use that as like an excuse to ask you questions about how your day went. <laughs> cool. So I think working chronologically, we had Trans Grand Canaria last month, uh, which is in the Canary Islands. I feel like that's one of those races that like you want to uh, block off maybe three or four days on either end of the race just to like relax, you know? Oh, uh, 100%. I mean, 
the Canary Islands are amazing in that you're one minute you're on the beach and then, you know, you take a 30 minute drive and you're up, you know, 6,000 feet in the mountains. So it's a great vacation destination. It's actually where a lot of the Europeans do their uh, travel as well. So definitely a type of race where you can get some vacation time in as well. Yeah. I also think like aesthetically, it's a really cool like course too. it essentially the 126 K distance, um, like just runs across the Island, um, which is pretty epic. Yeah. That was, uh, I had two friends that did the 126 K and they, they said that was that what kept them moving late in the race when they both wanted to drop, they said that the Strava profile or the Strava map of crossing the entire entire Island was what kept them going. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so in the 126k distance, we had uh, on the women's side Ragna Debats. She won in 16 hours, followed by American Abby Hall in 16:21, uh, and uh, Claudia Tremps in 16:45. And I apologize if I'm absolutely butchering any of these names. Um, I have a reputation for doing that. So, <laughs> uh, any of those results stand out to you? Uh, yeah, the women were on fire. Um, I actually think Abby Hall, uh, took it out pretty hot early in the race and she was actually in the lead for, I think a good large majority of the first third. Um, so she just had a stellar race because she went hot from the gun. And as you can see, she only finished 21 minutes back in a 16 plus hour race. So not only did she take it out hot and, uh, take it out in the lead, but she, she held on really well. Uh, so that race was really fun to follow. And I mean, the top three women were all within 45 minutes of each other, which is pretty competitive when you consider that this is such a long race. And something fun about it is the weather this year. I mean, it was heinous. It was, we talked to several people and they said it was unlike any weather that they've had at this race in very recent years. Um, so the course itself, I described it as pe to people as being like part Grand Canyon, um, part Hawaii in terms of like technical, humid, rugged trails, but then also very similar to like lots of uh, Utah environments that we see. So you couldn't just have one skill set at this race. You really needed to be able to do it all. Um, climbing, uh, descending, uh, being able to uh, handle the heat later in the day. Um, but then the winds, like we probably had 50 to 60 mile per hour winds um, in the long race. So you had to be able to manage all types of conditions. And I think that's why we see these strong runners at the front who have a lot of experience in ultra running. It's because it's more than just being fit at the start line. It's being able to manage conditions and control all the controllables. So this was a really fun race to follow. Nice. Yeah. I haven't done any running over there, but one day I think I might, uh, I might go for the, maybe for more for the vacation than the race. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah. I highly recommend. <laughs> yeah. So on the men's side, it was, uh, equally as tight up front, um, with Pablo Villa winning in 1337, Paul Capel in 1358, and Pierre Aurel in uh, 1412. Yeah, really, really competitive men's race too. Did you get to see the finish of that race at all? Um, I didn't. So my race started, I, so I guess we'll talk oh, right. about this in a little bit. I did the yeah. 62K, which started 10 hours after uh, the 126K. So I knew that if I saw any 126K runners, like, these top tier athletes, it probably meant that they are having a bad day. So I unfortunately could only uh, follow once I finished, which I think yeah. right when I finished was probably around when the 20th person in this, uh, the longer race was finishing. Gotcha. It's good to see uh, Paul Capel back on the podium. I know he was recovering from, I believe, a, like a knee injury last year. Um, and I know that he, I think he just won Patagonia 100. Yeah, but I think um, he finished hand in hand uh, with another athlete, which I oh, think really? he's, he's been known to do. 
Cool. I love that. Some people hate on that. I love it. I think it's great for the you know, sport. I don't mind it. It's, it's nice. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, cool. So, so let's move into uh, your race. Yeah. So um, I ran the 62K and this race actually starts at the halfway point um, in Artenerda um, of the 126K. So 126K, I think has over 20,000 feet of climbing. Um, and a large majority of, of it is done in the first, uh, half. So my race is actually net downhill with, I think about nine to 10,000 feet of uphill and probably 13 to 14 K of downhill. So this race definitely caters to somebody who, you know, has quads for descending and can, uh, move efficiently over technical terrain late in the race, because, a good portion of the last 10 miles is actually down an insanely rocky riverbed. Um, so being able to move in the heat of the day on a rocky riverbed uh, without injuring yourself is critical. Uh, so for this race, we saw actually a Solomon uh, swept podium, which was really cool. Uh, so it was Ariane Wilhelm. Um, she was in first place and Johanna Antia uh, was in second place and they were separated by four minutes. So Ariane ran 606 and Johanna ran 610. And then I finished up 25 minutes behind them um, in third place. Yeah. We should also mention that you do run professionally for Solomon. Oh, yes, I do. Yeah. 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 They pay the bills. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but did you, were you happy with your performance? I mean, like a podium at that race is like yeah, big deal. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I had very, I wasn't going into this race with like a huge focus on it. We were going there largely for vacation and <laughs> enjoying a race too. So I was putting low pressure on myself. If I had a good day, I had a good day, but I wasn't overly concerned about it. So I was very uh, pleasantly surprised with how my race played out. I think it was the first race I've ever had where I finished it and I said, that was the best race of my life. Oh, wow. I, I think I was able to put myself more in the mix of the competition than I ever have in any other race. Um, except, I mean, the, for the two lead women, they took off and I never saw them. But in terms of working in the midst of these like third through sixth or seventh place women, um, I definitely held my own. And I've been telling friends since we've returned running in a race with a bunch of Europeans who are amazing on the downhills moves you to the next level in your downhill abilities. I've never considered myself a decent downhiller, but I think I just unlocked a next level of my downhill capabilities in this race, just because you're surrounded by people who can do it efficiently. Um, so I think that definitely helped and being able to manage the heat late in the race um, and hold my own definitely played to my advantage, but I will say it wasn't easy. I had um, fourth and fifth and maybe even sixth place, um, three minutes behind me, probably for the last 15 miles, um, which it has a lot of descending in that. So one of those mental games where you just had to stay strong and keep giving it your all towards the end. So overall, really, really happy with the race. And I mean, it was gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah. I like, I, I know that Europeans have like such a, a reputation for like descending, like, <laughs> oh. like no other. And I'm, I, I don't know like why that is. I mean, um, oh, I was running with um, Meryl Cooper, who I think she's from Scotland. And I commented during the race, I said, you are just a machine on these downhills. And it had been raining at this time. We were going over this like just rocky, rugged uh, terrain at the time. And she's like, oh, I feel like I'm running at home right now. This is fell running. So I think a lot of it has to do with like how they're brought up, the terrain that they're used to running on. And I mean, they just hammer the descents. Yeah. It's like, it's a beautiful thing to watch. Like I know there's some good, uh, some good YouTube videos that 
follow like the likes of like Killian and others mm-hmm. um, going down these like insane trails. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't know. I <laughs> part of me watches those and I'm like, yeah, I, I can't do that. <laughs> you know, I don't learn anything. I'm just impressed. <laughs> I know Josh is on the floor. Yeah. Yeah. Um, cool. So on the men's side of the 62 K uh, Tom Evans, uh, one by 10 minutes and five ten, which is very fast on so that fast. course. Yeah. Uh, followed by second play, second place, uh, Aritz Egia. Um, and in third was Matthew Deplouche in five thirty one. So what stuck out to me was, was Tom's race. Uh, again, he's coming back from a pretty, uh, pretty gnarly injury last year. And, uh, I was looking at some of his splits and for 62 Ks, the fact that he was, able to run as fast as he did with so much vert was was it means he's in good shape i don't know what else he has lined up this year um i actually i think i saw him on the entrance list for one of the shorter races at madeira next weekend oh so i think he's on this terror of shorter distance (laughs) races yeah and islands (laughs) yeah Uh, i love that i think we can move on to uh another race you uh were at up in I guess Portland, it's kind of on the border of Portland and Washington, mm-hmm. uh, the Gorge Waterfalls 100K, uh, which is back this year after, I think, like, I forget uh, the last I, year. I think 2017 yeah. was the last race, at, uh, the last time that this race was held. Yeah, so uh, the course runs along the Columbia River um, and overlaps with a section of the PCT that burned severely, I think, in, yeah, 2017. I know that there was a trail closure up there when I was on the PCT. I had to take like this heinous alternate because that area was like so burned. Uh, Gorge Waterfalls used to be a golden ticket race. So it definitely has some really good history. Um, And it seemed like a good time. Oh man, it was amazing. It was one of my favorite race events that's been held in a very long time. Um, So just this past year, Daybreak Racing and uh, Free Trail with Dylan Bowman and his team took it over and they co-directed it. And it was, it was just an incredible event, the community around it. And uh, something that they were pushing with this year was the live coverage of trying to boast that, hey, we have these races and we are capable of doing better coverage of these, uh, following the lead runners and giving a visual into what these races, how these races really play out amongst the lead runners. So there was a lot of um, gimbal following of the lead runners and a lot of updates throughout the day with live coverage. Uh, I think this was able to be done because of the decent cell service along the course, but I think it really upped the game uh, for this event in general because it was it was top notch and I'd highly, highly recommend it to anybody even considering it because it was it was just amazing. It brought out a great group of athletes too. I think the prize purse was twelve thousand yeah. um, dollars. So I think like three thousand dollars going to each winner, two thousand and then one thousand. Um, so it brought a really competitive group this year as well. Yeah, I I have a uh, a soft spot in my heart for the trails up there too. They're just so much fun running in the Pacific Northwest. They're so flowy oh, totally. uh, in parts, and I know that like part of this course goes under. Um, some waterfalls, hence the the mm-hmm. name. Uh, but I, I don't know. Did you did the uh, 50k course hit that spot too? Yeah. So um, let me think about this. The 100k did roughly like out and back. They went out and back um, a couple of different times. Um, so our race covered 
a lot of the ground that theirs did. Um, so their race was held on Saturday, ours was held on Sunday. So we we shared a large portion of the same course. Um, there was a few road miles this year. I think there was still some uh, trail closures from some washout um, and slides on the trail. But I mean, this was actually technical in areas too. So I came to this race thinking this is going to be a super cruisy Pacific Northwest trail race. And I was very surprised by the sections of technicality of jagged rocks, slippery rocks, just everything. And it was uh, precipitating in the days leading up to it and even on the day a little bit too. So definitely lots of mud in sections, but it made for a really dynamic race with various conditions, but also some very, very cruisy sections. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, from all the gimbal footage, I could <laughs> I could tell uh, people are having fun and uh, the trails look to be in pretty good shape. Yeah, considering. great shape. Uh, so on the women's side for the 100K, uh, Hannah Allgood won in 934, followed by Tara Fraga in 944 and Ellie Pell in 950. So again, um, like in Transgrand Canario is pretty tight up front, which is always, always cool to see. I think it's like, it's good for our sport that like, the competition is of such high quality that um, there are only like minutes in between um, folks at podium. I think it, it makes uh, for some good spectating for sure. Yeah. I keep bragging about the women that were in this hundred K because man, women are on fire this year and in ultra running in general right now. I mean, they were so close and there was just a race pretty much first through fourth all day long. Um, the same five people I think we saw at halfway in the top five positions were the same five that finished uh, at the top at the end. But I mean, with maybe 10 miles to go, we saw these same group of ladies and they were still, they were neck and neck, you know, no more than five minutes separating most of them. And it was really anyone's race, but they all held on and just were so resilient uh, throughout. Like you never saw somebody with a huge bonk. They just stayed so strong and it was a fast group and they really didn't let up. So I even think our fourth place was Holly on Swan from the East Coast. And I think she maybe finished five minutes back from third. So it just goes to show how deep and stacked that field was right up at the, at the top. Yeah, everyone was under 10 hours, um, which, yeah, again, really awesome. fast for that mm -hmm. course. And your race was on Sunday, right? So yep. you were out and about on Saturday, trying not to run too much. <laughs> yeah, which didn't end up working out very well in my favor. I mean, we hiked in in at least two spots. Then I did a shakeout for like four miles. And then I was on the live coverage, giving updates on all the runners as many times as I could, which was another really cool feature that I've heard a couple people talk about was how you could almost like crowdsource uh, race coverage um, because I was just at eight stations and trying to give as many updates as I could to the followers at home. So I think this is something that could take off in the future uh, with races that do similar coverage is crowdsourcing uh, aid station help from those who are able to contribute. But man, it was it was energetic. So we, we were able to see this entire race play out. And I mean, I would I much prefer that over that just relaxing the day before a race. Yeah, yeah. I feel like Twitter is uh is perfect for uh tracking like uh ultras and, and giving live updates. Oh, totally. Uh, sweet. So on the men's side, David Laney uh won in eight thirty four, followed by Rich Lockwood in eight fifty four and Joe McConaughey in eight fifty seven. I know uh I think all three of those guys train up in the Pacific Northwest, so uh yeah. they, they swept the podium. Yeah, um, sure did. Yeah, yeah, they were moving. They were moving. I think I saw, I saw some footage of David Laney at like you know, halfway through, and he was his, his long ass legs were moving pretty quick. 
Yeah, I mean, he was grinding. When you'd see some of that footage, he was working hard later in the race. But he actually he really pulled away, too, because I think um, at least him and Rich Lockwood were together for a large portion of the first half, if not two thirds. And then he made a move and he was gone, which was, yeah, really, it was really cool to see. He's been having a really good year. Mm-hmm. Uh, cool. Should we get into your race? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, so I ran the 50K, which was on Sunday. And like I mentioned, covered a lot of the same ground. Forget how much vert we had. It might have been like a 6,000 6, feet over the course of the 50K. And it does a lot of the climbing. You actually start the race with a 2,000-foot climb up below one of the waterfalls. And then you descend the back of it, which was awesome. But I mean, that's a tough way to open up a 50K. So in this race, uh, Keely Henninger took the win in 419. I followed up four minutes behind her in 423. And then Taylor Nowlin was uh, not far behind me in 432. So yeah, unfortunately, Keely and Taylor ran, um, I think the first 12 or 13 miles together. And I was in a very solid third place. And then I think Keely started to pull away a little bit from Taylor around mile 14, which unfortunately also... Uh, was a time when Taylor took a slight wrong turn off course. Um, so when I came into mile 20, I asked, oh, how far ahead are Keeley and Taylor? And they said, oh, only Keeley's come through. So unfortunately, I'd never actually passed Taylor to move into second. I think I had must have passed her when she was off um, after she took a wrong turn. So there's an out and back where you're able to see the distance uh, behind you. So on this out and back with probably about seven, six or seven miles to go, I saw her and Arden, who uh, finished in fourth place, passed them and they were running together. But I mean, for what it's worth, she really held on strong and clawed her way back to finish as strong as she did in third place. But I know the feeling when you make a wrong turn. So that was that was a little unfortunate. But I mean, the women's the women's race was definitely a race from the gun, I'd say, but really enjoyed it. Yeah. Did you think you were going to have a pretty good day? Uh, you know, going into it, I I thought I'd be like a solid third to Keely and Taylor, honestly. Um, but I finished a lot stronger than I ever anticipated. It finishes with a pretty cruisy last seven miles. And my goal was to come into mile 20, feeling strong, ready to race and really hammer that last seven. Uh, and that's exactly what I did. And I was able to close the gap on Keely from about six minutes down to four minutes in the last uh, seven to 10 miles. So I was very proud of that. Uh, she ran amazing. And this was, I think, her first race of the season in a build up to Western States this year. So I was very pleased with um, how I closed and also just, you know, my ability to recover after the race too. I wasn't too beat up from the effort. So I think that was probably my biz- biggest success of the weekend for sure. Yeah, that's that's always a, a good barometer of fitness when you can like walk the next day. Exactly. <laughs> uh, cool. Uh, so on the men's side, we had Ryan Miller uh, in three fifty um, take the win, and followed by Tyler Green in three fifty two two minutes back, and Adam Mary, uh, who runs for Saucony in um, three fifty seven. So really tight bunching up there, which seems to be a theme. Yeah. Um, of these past two races. Yeah. And in this race, um, this was interesting. Tyler Green was actually holding a pretty solid lead with about, I think seven miles, seven to 10 miles to go. I think he, he was in first, Adam Mary was in second and Ryan Miller was back maybe four to six minutes in third place. And Ryan gunned it for the last uh, seven to 10 miles. And he ended up passing Tyler with about a mile and a half to go, which is unfortunately for Tyler, it's when you hit a paved bike path, which is Ryan's specialty. So Ryan really uh, went to work those last couple miles and gapped Tyler by a little bit. 
Yeah, I think uh, he has some ridiculous like Rhoda marathon. Yeah, PR. I think he does too. It's it's pretty fast. Yeah, it's it's kind of cool to see though. Like, there's more and more there's more influx of men and women with just ridiculously fast road speed coming into the trail scene, and and uh, they're definitely like you know it translates exactly. Yeah, and it's fun to follow too because I mean sometimes they come over and yeah they blow it out of the water, but sometimes they do struggle, and I think that speaks to ultra running in its entirety that it's there's a lot you need to manage there's a lot that you need to figure out and it doesn't just come down to this raw road speed you know you need to be able to eat for five hours six hours you need to be able to mitigate the heat uh there's a lot of elements that you know you might not be the fittest and speediest on the line but if it all comes together you'll have your day so i think that's been a really fun dynamic to watch as more roadsters come over to the trails yeah i think um i over the course of long runs in the past, uh, one of the topics we debate is like, well, if Kipchoge or one of those elite like Kenyan runners uh, lined up at Western States, like, <laughs> how do you think they do? And I don't know. I like, I, I it could go both ways. Yeah, you know? I think I think they'd run into some issues. <laughs> yeah, I do too, especially in the high country. Yeah. Cool. Uh, should we move on to Lake Sonoma? Yeah, let's talk about it. Sweet. So Lake Sonoma was last weekend. Um, and it's notorious. The course is notorious for, uh, it's kind of, uh, rolling uphills, uh, that just chip away at you, um, in the 50 mile race, at least. Uh, I know folks around here call it a death by a thousand cuts, um, <laughs> which, which I think is like a, a fair assessment really. Um, if you look at some of the, the Strava profiles, it looks like a bunch of, uh, tiny teeth. Well, yeah, I think it has, doesn't have like 10,000 feet of climbing yeah. some way, somehow over the course. <laughs> yeah. I like, it always confuses me. Cause like you look at the, the elevation profile and you, there's like not one single, like singular climb. It's just broken up, but, uh, it's also notorious for poison Oak, which is why, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which, you know, well, so I didn't think Gorge was going to have poison Oak and I am still still suffering the consequences of that race <laughs> oh no yeah one thing i do appreciate about lake sonoma is that they do have a uh, tech new at every aid station that's <laughs> um, what that's what they advertise cool so on the women's side uh britney charbonneau won in 727 um followed by Ketro- i'm gonna <laughs> ruin this name I-, I know she's an irish runner mm-hmm. uh Ketronia jennings i believe yep. uh 10 minutes back in 737 and then a- another tough name for me uh, Svencha Espinhan in 8.12. Anything yeah. stand out to you? Yeah, this was a fun race to follow from afar. So I think this was Brittany Charbonneau's first 50 miler. Um, so if anybody's familiar with her, she's, uh, she's coming from the roads and she's been dabbling in ultras for the last year or so. Um, I think she set a course record on a newer course at Moab's Red Hot 55K, uh, I think in February. And she's ha- she's had a great showing in the ultra world so far. So I was excited to see how she would take on 50 miles. And I mean, running 727 at Lake Sonoma, while it's not a course record time, um, it's still up there for the results at this race. So I was impressed, but I was also really impressed with um, second place Catriona Jennings, who I actually did not know much about, but upon reading a little bit about her, I think she's a pretty fast uh, Irish runner. I was reading a 50K and 100K record holder um, in Ireland and also has finished third at Comrades in 2019. So she's fast 
And yeah. I think that was definitely somebody who could run with Brittany Charbonneau on this course. So I think um, Brittany might have gapped her the last little bit because I think they only had a five minute gap uh, with the last aid station to the finish. So it was cool to see somebody uh, make that a race for Brittany. Yeah, yeah. My friend uh, Olivia, who uh, she ran the the marathon version of Sonoma, uh, said that it was just yeah. They the, those two women were duking it out the oh, entire man. race. Cool. So on the men's side, uh, Matt Sadel won in seven oh seven, followed by Ben Koss in seven thirteen, and Grant Hodling in seven twenty one. Um, ben Koss is a runner from the Bay Area who's had like a lot of success. Um, at this race before. So it was cool to see him on the podium uh, as well as Matt Sadell. I believe he's also from the Bay area. Um, and, you know, I, I think the wheels might've fallen off a little bit for Ben in the last uh, five miles or so. Um, but he was, he was right on Matt's heels uh, the entire way. Do you know how the weather was for the race this year? Cause I know the last installment of Lake Sonoma was held this past October, I think where they had right. pretty extreme heat. So I was curious if there was any heat this past weekend for that race. Yeah. So Northern California had a bit of a heat wave, um, the week of the race. I don't think it was like too, too hot. Uh, not like Healdsburg and Sonoma is in September. Yeah. Uh, the last time it was held. Um, it seemed pretty pleasant though. Uh, from everything I heard, I, again, I wasn't able to, to make it up there, but it might have been a little breezier, uh, which is, is great conditions for that race. Yeah, I would say um, the races, the times on the men's side weren't like historically as fast as they've been. Um, and I'm wondering if that's in part because Lake Sonoma is no longer a golden ticket race like it used to be in the past. You know, it looked promising for having a pretty deep and competitive field a couple months ago, but I'm wondering if there's a lot of competitive races now happening this time of the year that draw a lot of the other athletes who would be at Lake Sonoma um, more in like the golden ticket race direction. Yeah, I think, I don't know. I, I'm kind of, I was disappointed when Lake Sonoma lost its golden ticket because it's such a cool community up there. Healdsburg Running Company does such a great job with that race. Um, Skip Brand, who was the uh, previous race director, uh, is just a, a great guy um, and does a lot for that community. But I think the new race director, I think Gina Lucrezzi mm -hmm. of Trail Sisters, she did a great job this year too. And I think, I, uh, yeah, I wish that that race still had that golden ticket. I know. It's unfortunate. I mean, there's some arguments against racing your way into Western States with a 50 miler. However, I think it brought a pretty dynamic group of people and a lot of people who have some speed to Western States as well. So definitely arguments uh, for and against it, but it was nice this year to see another race distance being added uh, with the marathon too. Yeah. The marathon was really competitive. Jennifer Lichter won in three thirty on the women's side, followed by Mary sketch, Brian in three fifty, and Olivia Amber in three fifty three. Um, and then on the men's side, Matt Lenahan won in three eighteen, followed by Nick Handel, who's another, uh, barrier runner. I think he was like less than a minute back. Oh man. Uh, yeah, it was really competitive. Um, and then Rich Scogsberg in 323. Do you know so how again, that played out amongst the, uh, between the two leaders there? Like, was that a sprint finish or? So I think what happened was uh, Nick was leading the race for more than half of it. And I believe Matt overtook him um, with a handful of miles to go. And uh, I think I, I talked to Nick yesterday and I think he was uh, not not really gunning for 
for the win. He wasn't too too focused on that. This might have been just kind of a rust buster for him. But uh, I uh, I also talked to Matt, and he said that if the race was like a mile longer, he would have been cooked. So. <laughs> it's always <laughs> like, fun to see races play out that way. Yeah, those guys went uh, to the well together. Yeah, and I think there was some good. Um, was this like a North Face? sponsored race um because i think we had a lot of good north face athletes show up at this race on both the like the 50 miler side and the marathon side right right yeah it was uh the first year um north face was the the title sponsor because i think that it used to be a solomon race for quite some time correct Mm -hmm. yep cool all of this talk about uh golden tickets leads us to the final golden ticket race of the year which is canyon's 100k uh, there's six golden tickets up for grab this year. Um, and I believe you're on the start line, right? I am, um, which is going to be really fun. Yeah. So like you mentioned, there's six golden tickets. Uh, this is a result of Tarawera being canceled this year and them having to redistribute the golden tickets. So otherwise this would have been just two golden tickets. Uh, so I think this is going to be really fun. That's leaving uh, three tickets on the women's side, three tickets on the men's side. And a lot of people have been saying that this is arguably the most competitive race on U.S. soil this year. And I mean, if you take even a glance of a screenshot of the men's entrance list and the women's entrance list, I don't even think a screenshot can capture the depth of the athletes here, which I think is saying a lot. Yeah, and I think the the course is the uh, I think COVID alternate course uh, yep. from last year. They're, they're keeping that, uh, which I think has something like, what, 16,000 feet of climbing? Uh, I, I think it's a... A little oh, under. Oh man, I forget. Maybe fourteen. Uh, okay. I, ran, I ran it last year, and I um I really liked it. It's you tough did. because you know you do a lot of the runnable stuff in the first twenty five miles, and then it gets hard, very hard, and you're just grinding uphill to the finish. So it's a net uphill course. I think by about four thousand feet. So you finish somewhere up around five thousand feet, I believe, and you start somewhere around a thousand. Um, so it really favors those athletes who can climb late in the game which I think will make for a really fun race on uh, next Saturday. Yeah, yeah. So why don't we take a look at the kind of notable entrance? Um, and this might be tough for you because <laughs> you're one of them. <laughs> so why don't, why don't we start with the men then? Okay, yeah, uh, let's do that. Any names pop out? Um, let's see here. So let me just take one. Oh, man, there's through. a, a so lot we, of them. Oh, Adam Peterman. Man, yeah. he's on fire. He's my uh, He's my pick for you know, having a great day. He's been having such a successful year. He won JFK and very close to course record time. He set a course record at Speedgoat uh, last year on a slightly altered course. And uh, we just saw him have a phenomenal race at Chuckanut, um, taking over Anthony Costales uh, for that, that win. So, yeah. I mean, if that's any indication, I think he's coming to the start line with really great fitness and he's really fun to watch. So, I mean, I think he he'll be in the running definitely for a golden ticket. Totally. That uh, Chuck and Nut run was, was, was something I know he's lowered the, the course record by uh, I think almost like 10 minutes there too. Yeah. And I think that was a Max King course record and it was a slightly yeah. altered course as well. But I mean, giving Max King's course record a run for its money by taking that by quite a few minutes is very impressive. Yeah. If you're taking anything for Max King, <laughs> <Yeah>. like, <laughs> you're in good company. Um. Yeah, and I think, um, I mean, there's people, like, I see Chris Brown on there. I think Rod Favard is running, and he had a really great race at Bandera this year, working his way up uh, largely in the second half of that race for, I think he finished in the top five, fourth place, I want to say. So I think he's going to be ready to have a phenomenal race himself. 
And um, I mean, you see people like Sage Canada, Zach Miller. Yeah. Tons of names. Uh, so uh, speaking of road speed translating to trails, I know uh, Reed Coolsat is a runner um, that I think he, he was, he ran uh, Black Canyon this year. I think he has like a, uh, a road marathon PR of like 212 um, and was in the hunt at Black Canyon for quite some time. So we'll see. Yeah. See that so that's out. interesting. He's a very, uh, he's a recent Solomon sponsored athlete. And I think he has a sponsored spot into Western States. So if he okay. is in the top positions, um, the ticket would likely roll down a spot to the next athlete. Um, I have, I think my dark horse pick, I don't think it makes the screenshot, like I mentioned, is uh, a guy named Brian Curl, who um, is from Colorado, lived in Utah for the last couple years, but then just moved back to Salida in Colorado. And he finished seventh place at Canyons last year, uh, having a really strong day and moving fast up in the field in the second half of the race. So I think he's somebody to definitely keep an eye on. Yeah, definitely. Uh, So on your side of things, yeah. Uh, <laughs> man, it's equally as stacked. It's insane. Like so many names are popping out. Like yeah. Anime Flynn. Um, let's see. Man, it's Sandy Nightpaver. Yeah, it's fun too because I think the group that the um, 100K on the women's side is uh, pulling out for the race, it's people with a lot of very different skill sets. So, um, for example, there's Sarah Beal. So she's from Ohio and uh, she got second place to Sarah Cummings at JFK this year, only a few minutes back from her. And I think they ran the third and fourth fastest times ever at JFK 50. So she's got a ton of rigs. I know she's an Olympic trials uh, marathon qualifier. And uh, she lined up at Biondera this year, but unfortunately um, dropped out partway through the race. So I think she's going to be coming out West and putting her road legs to the test with some of the climbs, but she'll definitely be one to watch as well. Um, I think Kat Bradley's running too. Oh, cool. um, she's further down on the list there. And, um, oh man, it's just like, who is it? You said Sandy Nightpaver, Nicole Bitter. Brittany Peterson. Brittany P. Oh man. It is yeah. stacked there. <laughs> yeah. Megan Morgan also, she was, um, I ran Bandera this year and she finished one spot behind me in fourth place. So she's, I think a runner who's uh training in Colorado right now. Oh, and Laudia Albertson, man, it just goes on yeah, and on. <laughs> she just, she's coming off a win at, uh, at Chuck and Nut. Yeah, it's going to be a real, oh, Abby Levine too, man. It's going to be a fun day. There's uh, yeah. athletes from all over with, uh, yeah, lots of experience and yeah, a variety of uh, skills coming into this. Yeah, I think I will make the trip up there. So Yeah, you should. Uh, yeah, it sounds like a, a good time. Cool. Uh, so another race that is happening, I believe, on April 23rd. Yeah, I think next is, weekend. Yeah, is Madeira. Uh, which takes place um, off the coast of Portugal, Madeira Island Ultra Trail. Um, they also have a bunch of different distances with the kind of uh, premier race being the 115K, uh, which is stout. I think that race has almost 24,000 feet of climbing and only 72 miles, which... <laughs> Jeez. Uh, yeah, yeah. I was, uh, I was doing a bit of training for that race with... Um, Corinne Malcolm, who's who signed up for it, and uh, yeah, she was doing an absurd amount of vert, uh, a lot of hiking, um, but uh, yeah, it, it should be should be a really competitive race on on the women's side uh, in particular. I think there's some um, really top names that are going to be out there. 
uh, including, as I mentioned, Corinne, uh, Courtney DeWalter is making the trip, uh, Audrey Tangay, um, and Stephanie Case, um, just some names that immediately popped out to me. You know, and I uh, might have seen, I don't know if this is still the case, but I might have seen Claudia Trimps on there as well. Oh, yeah. No, you're right. You're was right. was in the top three at uh, Trans Grand Canaria. So, yeah, I'm curious how she, she'll bounce back from, I mean, that Trans Grand Canaria was only five weeks, five, six weeks ago. Um, so I'm curious to see how she'll do as well. Uh, and Courtney, too. I think Courtney was just out. Um, I don't know where they were for the Solomon training camp, but doing a ton of miles uh, in Spain somewhere the last couple of weeks. So I'm curious what kind of form she'll come to the line with uh, for Madeira. And I think I saw Katie Scheid was supposed to run, um, who recently uh, moved over to North Face, which is interesting. I saw and, that. But I think she pulled out uh, due to illness. Yeah, uh, I'm excited to follow it for sure. Um, I think like those European races also do such a good job uh, with the live broadcast too. Oh, yeah. Um, accounting for like time differences and stuff. Yep. Um, and uh, I know on the men's side, I didn't recognize a ton of um, folks from the US on the start list aside from Jim Walmsley, which always stands out. <laughs> uh, I know he seems to be in pretty good fitness. He didn't do a ton of running um, this winter, I don't think, which is honestly like a, a good thing to see. I want to see that guy like healthy and, and crushing like for years to come. Um, but I was, I did a little bit of Strava stalking and I saw he did this run, I think like a week ago or something that was like, <laughs> he essentially like ran up and down the Grand Canyon like three times. And I think his like average, like great adjusted pace was in the sevens and the run had like <laughs> 15,000 feet of climbing over 40 miles. Okay. So that's a pretty stout effort, I'd say. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I think that's like what you have to do for this race. I think so too. Um, I mean, I was following Corinne's number of TAM repeats that she's been putting in. So I was like, holy crap. <laughs> yeah. The one she drags me along with. <laughs> oh man. No, it'll be good. It'll be, uh, uh, it's really good to see like these races back. Um, cause I know how valuable they are to those like local communities. Um, yeah. And I know that Madeira has got a couple other short distance races going on. I just took a glance at some of the entrance lists there, but I think on the American side, I think I saw Kelly Wolf signed up for one of the shorter races. Um, I think Stephen Kirsch has signed up for one as well. Um, oh, cool. so yeah, definitely a few other Americans that'll be out there and it'll be fun races to follow. Yeah. Sweet. Um, is there anything else you wanted to hit on? I'm not sure. I see that the hundred K road championships coming up in a couple of weeks. Um, not a ton of people running that. I don't know if that's historically the case, but, um, yeah, I saw like Patrick Reagan's running that, um, Anna Cassius, who I think is a tri Amer uh, Olympic marathon trials qualifier. And I think had a pretty stout performance at JFK, uh, yeah. this past year. So I think she's getting some legs in the ultra scene. Yeah, she uh, she runs for this uh, group in San Francisco called the Impalas, which oh, nice. uh, do a lot of like, well, I mean, they're they have a road running team that is like very, very competitive. Um, so I'll, I'll see her like just ripping down Golden Gate Park. Um, but yeah, I, I think that race will be will be a fun one to watch. I'm always like so impressed that um, these folks can run under eight minute miles oh, for as long imagine. as they do. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah I think I, I saw another Solomon runner, Lottie Brinks. Uh, she signed up. She got fourth place, maybe fifth place at Havelina this year, one spot away from a golden ticket. Um, 
So I think I might've seen that she came down with COVID this past week, unfortunately, oh, no. though, but she'll be a fun one to follow if she can get there healthy. But I did also see, and this is pretty notable. I think a lot of people might be going for age group records at this event. I saw Megan Canfield on the entrance list. Um, so I think she's in a, a new age bracket and I wouldn't be surprised if she's going for a stout hundred K time. Sweet. Yeah. That'll be, that'll be really cool. Cool. I think we covered most of it. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for, thanks for joining me with us. I oh, think of I, I'm happy that, uh, I was able to have, have someone on that was actually at a few of these events and, <laughs> and ran them. It seemed like I had like a, on rep- the ground. <laughs> yeah, a reporter in the field. Uh, sweet. So we, we got to do this again sometime. Yeah. I love uh, to nerd maybe out on next running. Month. So. All right. All right. Cool. We might make you a, a regular co-host <laughs> oh, then. Please. <laughs> Cool. All right. Well, thanks, Leah. Good luck at uh, Canyons. Thank I you. will probably see you there. Yeah, I know. Feel free to jump in on my crew. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. All right. All right. I'll see ya. That's it for this edition of Off the Couch. I want to say thanks to Leah for the conversation. Thanks to Justin Bob for producing this episode. And from all of us here at Blister, please take care of yourself and everyone else. Please keep moving forward. And we'll talk again real soon.